Getter is the new social media platform with the mission of fighting cancel culture, defending free speech, and challenging big tech. Great technology, lively conversation, and an active community have propelled Getter's rise to become the fastest-growing social media platform of all time. Try it yourself at www.getter.com. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, life and culture. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by Kate Andrews, who is economics editor of The Spectator. And we're going to be asking if America is in an inflationary crisis. Now, Kate, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, figures have just come out today they are actually it's actually slightly better news in terms of inflation than we thought it was going to be the trend is going slightly downwards from 5.6 last month to 5.3 this month but it's still significant inflation over five percent three months running and there are signs that this is having quite damaging effect on the economy and it's also having damaging effects on confidence in joe biden's presidency because inflation is a great way of losing votes. Do you see it as a crisis yet? I don't see it as a as a crisis yet, but one of the big problems with inflation, as Hayek once described it, as a tiger or a cat out of the bag, is that once it is out of the bag, it's very, very hard to get back in. It's very difficult to control. So inflation is really quite frightening to the economy because if it does start to spiral, it becomes harder and harder to do anything about it and can be incredibly painful. I mean, generations now have not really experienced a proper inflationary spike, so people don't really understand what that means for their finances, their mortgage, and the rest of it. Um, But as you say, Freddie, the Consumer Price Index did dip ever so slightly in August down to 5.3% based on the year earlier. I think the pace in June and July, according to the Wall Street Journal, was 5.4%. So it has ever so slightly slowed. But, you know, this is still a huge increase for where we were 18 months ago. The Federal Reserve is insistent that this is transitory, that it's going to be going back down. I think they think it's going to be around 2% again or 2.5% in in 2022. And and if they're right, then they've arguably made the right calls. But it's also interesting to look at the core price index, which takes out food and energy, which are more volatile categories that can be more transitory. And there you're still looking at 4% inflation a year on compared to 4.3 in July percent, slightly going down. But I mean, that's a meaningful hike, right? Mm. You know, up to up to 4%. And, and that's in areas that are less likely to be um, volatile. So no doubt America is experiencing inflation. The question is for how much longer and how much higher it goes. Well, America, like uh, almost every other uh, global economy, got through the COVID crisis or has got through the COVID crisis so far in terms of economics by by massive government spending. Um, If this inflationary spiral, if if inflation continues at this rate, that spending will have to be pulled back a bit. We're already hearing that the Biden administration is going to limit its infrastructure spending. Can uh, the American or even the world economy cope with long COVID and the threat of inflation? Well, 
look, if, if America has an inflationary crisis, the whole world is going to feel it. There's, there's no doubt about that. America's financial state is, is extremely delicate, as is the UK's. But our chancellor here, Rishi Sunak, kind of got his head around this much earlier on and wasn't in such denial. Not that it's going to happen. Nobody knows if it's going to happen. But that the threat is there and that if it goes the wrong way, we're all in a, in a really difficult place to continue to, to service our debt and pay our bills. So Rishi Sunak started trying to not balance the books, but just figure out how much money he might need to service the debt if inflation and interest rates rose even just by 1%. Back in February, March time, when Joe Biden was still storming ahead saying, you know, this is all great. I mean, most economists have been saying that inflation isn't a problem until very, very recently. There was this consensus that you could essentially print and spend unlimited amounts of money, and this is just the new way, how it is now. And and increasingly, you know, people are seeing actually, no, um, the, the economic laws and that we once knew may still very much apply. Again, I think if if it does peak around 5-6% and goes back down relatively quickly, this is going to be manageable. But the difficulty for any major country that wants to still be printing and spending money is that it, it really can't afford to hike interest rates. And that's how you would tackle rising inflation, right? You, 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 you'd raise interest rates. But again, the public is not used to anything other than rock-bottom interest rates. So I... I do think even, you know, we're seeing big wage increases in the States and in the UK because of labor shortages. A lot of people are enjoying that after a decade of, of wage stagnation. But if you inflate, you know, the, the, the hike away, uh, you know, that eventually is going to be reflected at the ballot box, especially for, for Biden in the midterms next year. Well, that's perhaps where this new economic orthodoxy came from, was 2008, when there was massive uh, state spending, massive stimulus uh, and it didn't seem to produce an inflationary cycle, or not a normal, not a retail mm-hmm. inflationary cycle. Does that mean now we should be alarmed? Obviously, it's nice that people are being paid more, but we should be alarmed because the one thing that stopped an inflationary cycle last time was the fact that we had a flexible labour force globally, which meant that wages did not go up and therefore inflation did not go up. And now the one thing that stopped it in 2008 is no longer happening. So we could be facing a major crisis. Yes, I mean... Cheap labor, which is a, a rather crude term, but one that's fairly widely used to describe this, Freddie. What I went for the more sinister, flexible did, labor. Did, well, it did. It, it, it did suppress uh, inflation. And um, I think you're right to say that a, a, a lot of the factors that were depressing inflation, globalization, increased free trade, more labor moving around, a lot of those had disappeared during the COVID crisis. I mean, we can't also directly compare 2008, 2009 to what we're going through now. The, the QE that we did back then mostly went to balancing the government's books. And we did see inflation. It was just in asset prices. Now, that's, I mean, I don't mean to, to speak lightly of that because it's led to some terrible consequences of, you know, house prices going off the charts and young people not being able to get on the housing ladder here in the UK and, and all the rest of it. Um, we did see inflation in luxury goods as well. But yes, as you say, I mean, this time, that money, that QE hasn't just gone to balancing books. It's gone into the real economy. It's gone into people's stimulus checks. It's gone into people's pay packages here in the UK where the government was actually paying people's wages. And now we're, we're seeing it translate to uh, these big wage top-ups. So uh, it's definitely affecting the real economy. Uh, and again, the, the question is, the, the Fed and the Bank of England, although ever 
less, uh, slightly less so these days. Andrew Bailey, um, the governor of the Bank of England, is not changing his rhetoric. He still thinks it's transitory, but perhaps being slightly more cautious in the way he speaks. They all still, they're, they're very bullish generally about the fact that this is going to be fine. And, you know, their reputations completely depend on this. If you're a central banker, this is what you're paid to do. So, you know, if they're right, they're right. And if they're wrong, you know, the whole world is going to be looking at them to answer how they got it so wrong. Is it a concern then that uh, a lot of politicians uh, in Britain, we have the, the levelling up agenda and politicians are very keen to stress that they, they you know, they know that being in favour of rising wages is, is a popular thing, obviously, for obvious reasons. And I heard this extraordinary quote from an American congressman, Brad Sherman, uh, last week that says, I want a labour market so tight that you don't even have to have to cover up your tattoos to get a job. I want employers camped out in front of my office begging for my help in how to hire people getting out of federal prison. Mm. Now, that sounds good. You know, you can see yeah. why people would want that uh, situation. It's good for people to be able to get jobs and to have be better paid. But there is this counterweight against it, and that perhaps is not being realistically discussed. Well, I think that's exactly right, Freddie. And I think that um, the, a lot of the people who are going to benefit from this very fast wage increase are the people who deserve it most. People who have been in jobs, often in the service sectors, in, in hospitality, retail, food, agriculture, who have been so overlooked, not just in terms of, of their wages and what they contribute to society, but by the politicians, you know, who, who it turns out during COVID, you know, all of us were so dependent on their services. They kept us alive. They kept us going. Um, they were stacking the shelves. They were keeping the supply chains going. And, um, you know, these people really do deserve that, that wage increase. And they were denied it based on other policy decisions that were made in the 2010s after the financial crisis for a really long time. And I've got a lot of sympathy with the idea that employers should have to look to new sources and new groups of people, whether that be ex-cons, maybe that's people who didn't get a certain qualification and need training from the employer. And we should be opening up these doors to people. But the fact that it's happening so quickly at such a rapid pace is a cause for concern when we're looking at the wider economy. Here in the UK, it isn't just that wages are going up. We thought wages might start to tick up in January 2020 when Brexit became official, immigration rules changed. Employers were already complaining then that they weren't going to be able to get their workforces. And the government was saying, well, you know, you got to hike your wages, you got to look to native workers, you've got to train them a bit more. But then a million people left during COVID. So we're not talking about a normal tightening of the labor market. We're talking about something rather quite extraordinary. So whilst you can point to some of the benefits for a lot of people who deserve it, let's not pretend that this is a moderate change. It's really quite extreme and fast, and, and that can have knock-on effect in areas like inflation. Uh, there's been a lot of talk, talk about Biden's popularity going down, uh, his job approval ratings going down. We did the last podcast on this subject. But I wonder to what extent do you think inflationary fears among the public are playing into that? We've heard a lot about what it's to do with Afghanistan, the, the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, mm. perhaps the crisis on the border, perhaps a sort of general sense that Biden is incompetent. How much do you think one can, and how can one read, how can one discover that inflation is a cause of voter concerns about Biden? Well, look, if there's an inflationary crisis, I think that could be the most damaging thing to Joe Biden, certainly in the midterms and in, in 2024. Because whilst we know that the American people care a lot about different policy areas, even in the 2020 election during the COVID crisis, it became very obvious that the economy was still at the very top of the list of things that people were, were, were voting on, which actually 
probably gave Trump some momentum in areas like Florida, which, um, you know, he he won rather comfortably. So if people see that their day-to-day prices are going up, if they find that their rent is going up, if they find that their energy costs are going up, if their food costs are going up, and that the benefits that many may have gotten from a wage hike still aren't enough or don't feel like they've really made you better off, I think that could be very damaging to Joe Biden because you have to also take that and put it in the context of all this money that he's spending and the fact that taxes are going up, corporation taxes going up, and corporations are not these like faceless entities, they're people, businesses are people, and corporation tax going up will have a knock-on effect on consumer prices, on worker salaries. Everyone's going to feel the effect of his tax increases. So if they don't feel like they're better off individually and they think things are getting more expensive and they still can't keep up, I think that could be absolutely damning for the president in the midterms and and in his next uh, presidential election. If anything, as serious as these other areas of public policy are, I mean, that could really be the nail in the coffin. Speaking of taxes going up, I want to make a very unnatural segue into the Met Gala last night and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, very famous American congresswoman, her dress, her beautiful white dress with tax the rich. I was wondering how you were going to do that. That was good, Freddie. I was going to go say something about inflationary pressures on celebrity narcissism, but we went with that AOC. Look, I think you could have, I think you could have done both, but that was actually an excellent transition. Did you enjoy um, all the outfits last night, Freddie? I enjoy feeling hatred towards celebrities. So, okay, so it, you enjoyed it. it ticked a lot of boxes. So, they, and that's what they're trying to do, and it, it it worked for me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, AOC looked absolutely gorgeous, and then you had this like in red tax the rich across the back of her dress, and um, I get that she's gotten everyone talking about it, and I guess that is her selling point, right? Is that she has this huge following on social media. She has people talking about her and her ideas. I'm not always sure if her goal is to sway hearts and minds or if it's just to get, you know, to try to make her radical left-wing ideas more mainstream in the media. And on the latter, she's she's doing a very good job. But uh, yeah, I I just can't imagine anyone really sitting there thinking that this was some kind of like brave and honest statement that she was making to the world. I mean, you couldn't get like a, a tinier bubble and frankly, you probably can find a group of people that adore her more than you would at the Met Gala. Exactly the champagne, champagne socialists that make the world go round. So I, uh, I can't really imagine that she was sitting there feeling uncomfortable, really being brave in her statement. I think she's probably making a lot of friends. I mean, it is almost, uh, you know, we, everyone says, oh, you, you know, you're talking about her, so therefore it's worked and whatever. I don't really care about that. I think it's just cosmically revolting to talk about the poor and to pretend to be campaigning about the poor at a fashion event that costs tens of thousands of dollars for a ticket, uh, God knows how much more for a table. It's a disgusting carnival of wealth, and I would say decadence. It's not really about social justice, is it? Well, it's like when celebrities charter private jets to fly to their climate change conferences, um, and you know when, when people stand up, as you say, Freddie, at galas or the Oscars or something, where it is just like, extreme privilege and wealth just dripping in it and then make these very provocative statements about people or um, make judgments frankly about other people that they know absolutely nothing about um, and have never been in their shoes Um, it is just deeply hypocritical and I don't I wouldn't go so far as to say that you can't use money to promote left-wing causes I mean of, of course you can that seems like a that that doesn't seem like the problem here. It's the idea that she would show up in that dress at promoting this political statement as if that is 
she's she's making the case that like that's the best form for her to promote that political statement. I don't know many details about it, but I think there were people protesting the Met Gala. Perhaps her showing up there and giving them a bit more of a media profile, which I'm sure she would have done, would have actually been promoting the cause in a way that seems consistent as opposed to deeply hypocritical. Perhaps a dress made of $100 bills would have been more appropriate to signal the inflationary threat that the world is now facing. I'm not sure that AOC is completely opposed to printing more money, Freddie. But yes, I think I could have gotten behind that dress. Kate, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. 